talking newspaper recorded on Thursday the 4th of May or Star Wars Day by kind permission of the editor of the Worcester News. Your team this week are Moira Lowe, Duncan Wynne, Hugh Thomas, Paddy Fellows, Janet Weaver and John Stark. As usual, we have this week's headlines, thought for the day, birthdays, deaths and letters to the editor. Okay, we've also got the lighting up timers, which I'll start off with, which is 8.39pm to 5.31am. Sounds like summer's on its way. Um, The announcements this week... um, Russell Dance passed away April the... Oh, these are in memoriam, actually. I don't want to shock anybody think he's died again. Um, Russell Dance passed away April 30th, 2009. Much-loved son and brother, gone but not forgotten, loved Teresa and Tim. And Ian David Handley, remembering you today and always, forever in our hearts. With love always, Laura, Dave, Janet and the grandchildren. Um, notification of deaths. Um, Lindisfarne, or Lynn Beeching, nay Jones, passed away after a long illness at home in Droitwich on April the 18th, 2017, aged 81 years. Much-loved wife of Michael, mother of Ruth and Deborah. Lynn's funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, May the 10th, 2017, at 2.30pm, followed by a Thanksgiving service at Droitwich Methodist Church. Geoffrey Ellis of Fernal Heath passed away peacefully on April the 7th, aged 91. Much-loved husband of the late Joan, father of Patricia, Carol, Geoffrey and Barry. Funeral service at St Michael and All Angels Church, Martin Hussingtree, on Friday, May the 5th at 12.15, followed by committal at Worcester Crematorium at 1pm. Norman Heathcock, very sadly passed away, aged 86, on April the 18th, a very much-loved husband of Pauline. He was loved by all his family and will be greatly missed. Norman's funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, May the 10th at 12.15. John Edward Francis Kerwin died peacefully at St Richard's Hospice on April the 14th, aged 73. Family committal at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, May the 10th, followed by a service of thanksgiving at St Martin's Church, London Road, 3.15. John Morris passed away peacefully on April the 19th, aged 72. A devoted husband to Shirley and loving father to Julie. Well-respected father-in-law to Lee and treasured granddad to Ely. He will be missed by everyone who knew and loved him. A service to celebrate John's life will take place at Great Northern Cemetery Chapel on Friday, May the 5th at 12.30. George Walker, retired BT engineer, Passed away peacefully in hospital on April the 18th, aged 83. Beloved husband of Ellen and father to Sonia. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, May the 5th at 10 o'clock. William, or Bill Yeomans, passed away peacefully on April the 12th, aged 83. Beloved husband of the late June. Loving dad to Mark and Sharon. A loving granddad to Anthony, Rebecca, William, Craig, Zoe, Danny, Chelsea and Chloe and a loved great-grandad. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, May the 5th at 11.30. Stephen Key passed away suddenly on April the 6th, aged 42 years. Funeral service at St Peter's Church, Poick, on Tuesday, May the 9th at 12.30, followed by internment at the churchyard. Roy Edward 
Albert Creese passed away suddenly on April the 6th, aged 79 years. Loving husband of the late Kathleen, father to Adrian and Michelle, stepfather to Alan and Sue, also much-loved granddad, great-granddad and father-in-law. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, May the 10th at 11.30. OK. Got some birthdays this week. So, on Thursday the 4th of May, so this week, 6th, is Marilyn Kendall's, 7th, Evelyn Stevens, and the 8th, Cynthia Walker. So, happy birthday to all of you. The thought for today is Matthew 5, 43 and 44. Jesus said, You have heard it said, Love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Okay. This week's headlines are shock at Flats plan, forced to quit, devastated, arsonists could have killed my horses and torched. And Paddy's going to start now with the week's headlines. Yes. <laughs> the shock about the plans. <clears throat> plans have been revealed to build 30, no, sorry, 20 new flats on the site of three Worcester businesses. An application has been submitted to convert buildings currently occupied by Legends, Gym, Kitchen World and the Pitts Duggins Motor Services in Henwick Road, St John's. But the plans submitted by Bolly Gold Limited have been slammed by one of the businesses at the site and a local councillor who has labelled them crazy. Staff at Legends say they only found out about the planning application submitted by Jason Kleins of Bolly Gold when they received a letter earlier this week. When the Worcester News visited Legends yesterday, this would have been last Thursday, the gym's owner, who refused to give his name, said he would be opposing the plans. It's ruined this place. I found out about it two days ago by letter, he said. The plan hasn't been agreed yet. I have got another unit lined up, so business is safeguarded. A manager at Kitchen World said they would likely oppose the application as they do not plan on moving. The application submitted to Worcester City Council this week is to convert the areas currently occupied the businesses into 17 studio and three one-bedroom flats to create an entrance lobby. There's no provision for car parking in the plans, but agent JBD Architects said the flats would be sustainable. Central location where residents would have less reliance on cars and be able to reach the shops and key facilities on foot. But Councillor Richard Udall, who sits on the District and County Council, said the lack of parking would make existing problems worse. This has to win an award for one of the most badly thought out and crazy planning applications I've ever seen, he said. I will do all within my power to stop this misplaced, ill-judged and harmful application from proceeding. He said the development would accept... Oops, can't say it. Accept... 
Exacerbate? Exacerbate parking. Sorry. <clears throat> and the applicant, applicant needs to think, to stop, think again and consider the other options, hopefully with new ideas that will create jobs and not destroy them, Councillor Yudler said. 20 flats with the ultimate capacity of up to 40 cars will have a real impact. The new residents would have to fight it out with existing residents to claim the few spaces that are available. It's simply unfair, not right, and will be damaging to existing residents and their businesses. The Pitts Duggins Motor Service said it was aware of the plans but did not want to comment. Okay, the headline from Saturday, April 29th, Forced to Quit. A Worcester vet has agreed to retire early after being accused of mistreating three horses. <clears throat> David Denny, who has practised in Worcester for more than 40 years, was facing 46 charges relating to the horses. However, the 81-year-old, whose practice was in Henwick Road, St John's, has now agreed to permanently remove himself from the Register of Veterinary Surgeons, rather than appear before the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons Discipline Committee. The charges related to the treatment of three young horses belonging to the same owner in April 2015. Among the charges were that he administered chloroform when it was inappropriate, failed to carry out certain medical procedures, did not administer antibiotic drugs when appropriate, and failed to first establish the medical history of the animal. Other charges accused him of failing to dispose appropriately of animal body parts, failing to take sufficient steps to reduce the risk of surgical infection, failing to examine the horses properly before or after administering a general anaesthetic, and failing to discuss their proposed surgery with the owner or keep adequate clinical records. Mr Denny was unavailable to comment yesterday, but in a letter to his clients he wrote... It is with great sadness and reluctance that due to circumstances beyond my control that I have been compelled to withdraw my name from the register. Consequently, I have to give up my way of life for 60 years and prematurely retire from practice. It is only as a result of your custom and loyalty that I have been extremely fortunate to follow my career and way of life. Years ago, there was a saying, there is a right way, a wrong way, and a Denny way of doing things. Together with common sense and integrity, my way successfully evolved over the decades. Ultimately, because my way is incompatible with the modern way of ticking all the boxes, lack of flexibility, etc., I have had to pay the ultimate penalty. Your loyalty and support has been greatly appreciated. Sorry and thank you all. Mr Denny was due to appear before the Disciplinary Committee on Monday, but at the start of the hearing, he made an application for the hearing to be adjourned 
if a form of undertakings was accepted. A statement from the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons reads, These undertakings were that his name be removed from the register with immediate effect and that he never apply to be restored to the register under any category. The application was granted by the committee, taking into account a number of factors. These include the fact that Mr Denny had now retired and closed his practice. His long and hitherto unblemished veterinary career and the fact that it would not be proportionate or in the public interest for there to be a lengthy hearing on the matter. He was officially removed from the register after the hearing. It's not the first time that the vet has been criticised. In 2014, he was accused of mistakenly putting down a dog that was only at the vets for some antibiotics. The matter was investigated at the time by the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons. And Mr Denny agreed to take a step back from dealing with smaller animals, handling that side of the business, handing that side of the business to others. Mr Denny originally worked at a practice in the Butts Worcester before setting up on his own as DJB Denny Veterinary Practice, first in Hallow and later in 1968 in Henwick Road, St John's. In 2010, he won the National Equine Vet of the Year Award. At the time, he told the Worcester News, I'd always wanted to be a vet. My uncle was a vet. So was my grandfather and my great-uncle. Whether a horse costs £10,000 or £10, I'll always do my best for it. After news of Mr Denny's retirement broke, the Worcester News were sent a number of comments from readers. Lulu DJH wrote, Sad times, Mr Denny is a gentleman. An honourable man who knew his job and what he stood for. John Maffs said, Been a customer for years. He has, like he says, got the Denny way of doing things, but he has a lot more loyal, happy customers than unhappy moaners. Mm -hmm. Sylvia Herbert said he was blunt on the outside, but he had a very good heart. Mm -hmm. Helen Marshall added, I have so many memories of this man. He is like Marmite. You love him or hate him. Paper on Tuesday, May the 2nd, had the headline, Devastated. The investigation into the fire that gutted a Worcester warehouse may take two or three weeks to conclude, the fire service has warned. The company that owns the warehouse, Arrow XL, has released pictures showing the devastation caused inside the building at the Blackpool East Trading Estate on Thursday, April the 20th. About 70 fire firefighters from across Worcestershire and Herefordshire tackled the blaze, and though they extinguished it the same day, crews remained on site until Saturday as a precaution. An investigation into the cause of the fire began immediately, but a spokesman for Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service said it had not yet come to a conclusion. 
It's going to be two or three weeks until the investigation is concluded because of the condition of the building, said the spokesman. This week, the fire authority chairman paid tribute to the hard work of the fire crews who dealt with the blaze. Derek Proger said their response was magnificent. The crews worked very hard, not only in extinguishing the blaze, but also staying on the site for several days and sifting through the wreckage until there was no doubt that there were no hot spots that could spring into flame again. Delivery crews working for the company resumed using the site on Friday, although its warehousing operation has been moved to premises in Chepstow for the time being. All Arrow XL warehousing staff will be transported by the company to and from Chepstow, while its delivery operation will still be based at Worcester. About 150 to 200 staff are based at Arrow XL's Worcester hub at any one time, which handles deliveries for the Midlands and South West. Arrow XL, which has operated out of Worcester for more than 20 years, is committed to staying in the area and plans to explore options to rebuild its Worcester site over the next two years. Okay, my headline is Arsonists Could Have Killed My Horses. Horses kept at stables in Worcester were lucky not to be injured or even killed after a hay barn went up in flames in a blaze believed to have been started deliberately. A hay barn at Old Northwick Riding Stables caught a light before the fire spread to two freezers and the front of two neighbouring feed sheds, as well as fencing and a signpost. Although firefighters were able to put out the fire before any animals were injured, owner Sarah Miller said five horses were stabled that night, with one of them in a horse box only 30 feet away from the blaze. She believes the fire was started deliberately. She said, thankfully, no animals were close enough to be caused any harm, but obviously the arsonists wouldn't have even thought about that. I find it incredibly sad that people get a kick out of acts of arson, risking animals' lives and destroying other people's property. Mrs Miller said she was out to dinner on Saturday, April the 29th, when she received a phone call from her son to say a friend had gone past the stables and seen the hay on fire. She then phoned her mother, who lives behind the stables, and asked her to check. She said as soon as she opened the back door, she went into a panic. She had to phone the fire brigade. They were there within 8 to 12 minutes. They were really quick. Mrs Miller also rushed to the stables in Old Northwick Lane, but said the fire in the hay barn had already spread to the freezers and nearby trees and had melted through a CCTV camera cable, rendering it useless. She said the fireman said it was arson. There's nothing else. There's no other way that it could have started. Mrs Miller said she had seen three youngsters hanging around near the stables earlier that day, but they were gone when she returned to deal with the fire. She added, A local electrician said there had been three boys hanging around letting fireworks off in people's gardens a couple of nights before. It's scary and really worrying. When I got here, all the hay barn was on fire. There's a metal roof, so that contained it underneath, but it started to spread out of the sides. Another ten minutes, and I hate to think how far it would have got, really. Mrs Miller says, although she has not lost a huge amount in the fire, the clean-up will be costly, as she will need to hire machinery to clean it all. She is also disappointed to have been told recently that a mobile home on the site needed planning permission and should be moved. She said, the council has asked me to move it, but I'm going to fight it. I need someone living on site. 
Firefighters were called to the stables at around 9.15pm on Saturday. Right, now that my headline is torched. <coughs> so obviously the pyromaniacs have been having a ball. Arsonists are believed to have caused a fire which burned a tennis clubhouse to the ground. The wooden clubhouse at Ombersley and Doverdale Tennis Club in Droitwich Road was set on fire between 2am and 2.30am. This would have been last Wednesday. <clears throat> club chairman Diane Grove said it's a great setback for a small club. It is very sad to think that somebody might have done it deliberately. We were burgled in November and now we have this. It's really upsetting. The clubhouse is completely destroyed and there is no way it could be repaired as it is a wooden clubhouse. As soon as the fire started, it spread quickly. The courts were not damaged, so we're trying to keep them open, although some of the fencing may have been damaged. That is something we will have to assess. Police travelling along the A449 from Worcester to Kidderminster reported seeing a cloud of smoke and flames coming from the Omsley and Doverdale Tennis Club. A police spokesman said, when the officers arrived on scene, the fire was sourced to a wooden clubhouse near to the tennis courts. The fire looks as if been started no more than five minutes before the officers arrived. The fire service were called to put the fire out. Damage was also caused to signage and furniture on the adjacent tennis courts due to the intensity of the flames. No one was injured in the incident. Police are keeping an open mind as to the cause of the fire, but it is believed it was started deliberately. Officers are keen to speak to anyone who witnessed the incident or who saw people acting suspiciously in the area at the time. So anyone with information can call West Mercia Police on 101 or Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 555 quoting the incident number 37S of May the 3rd. Okay, that's this week's headline. So here we'll start us off with some stories. A new list of heritage assets has been published for Worcester with the city's landmark former fire station among the inclusions. Worcester City Council has updated its in-house register of important buildings and structures with the dossier aimed at safeguarding any from demolition. The refreshed list spans 22 pages, with the old fire station on the corner of Deansway now featuring on it for the first time. The historic building has lay empty ever since fire chiefs relocated to a snazzy new HQ in Tolladine in 2015, but has planning permission to be turned into a leisure and living complex, including 22 apartments and shops. But there are nine new entries in total, including Raven Meadow Golf Course in Perth as well, the gates to Cripplegate Park, and believe it or not, folks, the heart of Worcestershire College in Deansway. No. Yep. The gates on Pitchcroft Racecourse, 
Six Masters Arm Almshouses in Northfield Street, Arboretum Mews in Southfield Street, and the toilets at Diglis Dock Basin have also made it. Six flats at number nine East Street Arboretum, which used to be known as the Railway Mission Hall, and a pre-war brick pillbox off Blackpool Road called Spellis Green are also new entries. St Martin with St Peter C.V. Church in London Road has come off the list, as has Austin House in Castle Street, the former car showroom and county furnishing site with its clock tower. Neither buildings need the added protection of being on the list, as they are nationally listed. The old county furnishings buildings, which dates back to the 1930s and was built on the site of a jail, is now owned by the University of Worcester and is being turned into an arts and illustration teaching facility. The council's heritage assets list still retains more than 100 buildings or structures that have been on it for some years, many with long-standing concerns. It includes the old Scarlet Theatre in Angel Street, Royal Worcester Porcelain, the Albion Pub at the bottom of Bath Road, the Bush Inn in, in Bullring St John's, Fourgate Street Railway Station, St Paul's Hostel and the old rectifying house in North Parade. The list is aimed at giving the council extra protection to refuse planning permission should developers ever try to knock them down. Councillor Roger Berry, the council's cabinet member for history and heritage, said the list emphasises Worcester's commitment to protecting its heritage. Bogus charity collectors have stolen money from a string of unsuspecting elderly victims. Police are on the trail of two women who are claiming to be collecting for either a deaf or disability charity in what officers are calling malicious distraction thefts. They have now released CCTV images of two women officers who want, who want, they want to speak to who they say may have information that can help their investigations. Between 1pm and 2pm on Wednesday at the Riverside Shopping Centre in Evesham, two sisters in their 70s and 80s were approached by two women claiming to be collecting money for the disabled. The collectors requested a small donation and the pair's signatures for proof of identification but the victims later noticed their money had been taken from their purses. A similar incident took place in Pershaw High Street at about 2pm on Tuesday, April the 18th. A couple in their 60s were approached by two women near Asda, requesting them to sign a petition for the disabled and blind children. The offenders again asked to see identification and a signature before placing a form over one of their victims' wallets. It was then that the money was taken. The women were also reported to police for attempting to use the same distraction method in W. H. Smith's in Pershaw at around 1.46pm the same day. A similar incident also took place in Oswestry, Shropshire, where a woman in her 70s was approached by two women claiming to be collecting for a hearing aid charity. She refused to give any money, 
but later noticed that cash had been taken from her purse. The two offenders are believed to be Eastern European women with shoulder-length dark brown wavy hair, aged in their early to mid-twenties, and both around 5 foot 2 to 5 foot 5 in height. They were wearing dark clothing. DC Dan Griffiths of West Mercia Police said, We are keen to speak to anyone who recognises either of the women in the CCTV image. This was a distraction technique theft, and it's quite a malicious one, as it preys on people's vulnerabilities and generosity for those in need. The message is to be vigilant at all times and not leave valuables on show. If anyone has information, please contact us on 101. Anyone with information should call West Mercia Police on the non-emergency number 101, quoting incident number 0344S. A Worcester cafe run by volunteers who specialise in repairing broken household items and clothes celebrates its first birthday this month. The repair cafe Worcester allows people to enjoy tea, coffee and cake while getting their broken items restored. Since it opened in May last year, the group has had 295 visitors and 419 items brought in to fix. The success rate for repairs remains over 70%, with around 300 items given a new lease of life. As well as the usual clothes, kettles and toasters, amongst the more memorable items brought in for repair were a cuckoo clock, which had lost its voice, a toy giraffe with a detached eye, a globe that was tilted at the wrong angle, and several pairs of the mayor's trousers. <laughs> Chairman of the Repair Café, Rod Howell, said the last 12 months have been simply amazing. He added, we have around 30 regular volunteers who help run the Repair Café every month. The volunteers who have come forward to help are a testament to how public-spirited local people are. More than anything, we have enjoyed getting to know new people and being a part of something positive. Heather Bainbridge, who is in charge of the catering team, said, Our volunteers also bake the delicious cakes that we serve at each repair cafe. Some visitors just come for the tea, the cake and a conversation, and we love to see them there. Duncan Bell, the group's treasurer, said, We would also like to gratefully acknowledge the financial support that we received in the early days of the repair cafe. We had a financial shot in the arm from the local community funding scheme, Worcester Soup, a lottery-funded grant from Repair Café Hereford and Worcester, and we also benefited from the Waitrose Community Matters Scheme. The repair sessions are held on the second Saturday of every month at Stars Day Centre in Stanley Road. The next one is Saturday, May the 13th, from 11 till 2. I've never heard of them. Haven't you? At all. No, that's good. Now I've got a sad piece saying that eight sheep were killed by dogs. A couple who bred pedigree sheep have been left heartbroken after a dog attack left eight of their flock dead and more badly injured. Mark and Anna Sanders say they were trying to build up their small flock of Wiltshire horns into a business, but the setback has left them wondering whether it to carry on. The sheep were killed in Witchinford. This would have been last Thursday. And the police say that they suspect domestic dogs are behind the attack. 
It's the second time sheep have been killed in the fields surrounding the village in under a week. Eight more sheep were killed in an attack overnight on Friday, April 21st, with suspicion again falling on dogs, not on leads. Mr Sanders said he discovered six of his lambs dead with their throats ripped or their ears removed. He said we had to pull a, fur- pull a further three ewes out of a brook in the field. They'd been pushed through an electric fence and a three-stranded barbed wire fence thrown about an eight-foot drop into the watercourse below. We managed to recover three live ewes with various injuries. The couple's pedigree ram was also found dead in the brook, while four wounded animals have had to have their ears removed. It breaks our hearts, said Mr Saunders. It's been my wife's dream to have a go at this. We're now wondering whether we should give it up. Mr Saunders said the sheep were kept in a secure field, but he suspects dogs may have squeezed their way under a gate. I've seen it before. There's no doubt in our minds it's a dog attack. Mr Saunders says police were handed two dogs by a villager who'd found them loose in a field the morning after the attack and take them home. However, he understands that the dogs will return to their owner while a police investigation continues. Mr Saunders has pinned up the pictures of the dead and injured animals near his field to raise awareness of dog attacks. And he said, I take no pleasure from this, but it is a well-known and well-acknowledged law that if a landowner catches a dog not under control, we're allowed to shoot the dog. And he said, it's been a horrific weekend. Financially, we are still counting the cost. It will run into many hundreds of pounds, perhaps £2,000 in lost animals. But it's the emotional size which is so terrible, I don't want anybody else to go through this. Another sorry animal mm-hmm. tale, I'm afraid. A cat owner has issued a warning after the latest in a string of attacks in the St Peter's area of Worcester. A vet at Best Friends in Malvern discovered that Anne Poole's two-year-old cat Dolly had a pellet in her leg from an air gun. Mrs Poole, who lives in Kingfisher Close, found a cut on her cat's leg on Monday afternoon and is relieved that more serious damage was not done. I thought that she had just cut herself, but the vet said she had a pellet in her leg. I suppose it's quite lucky as serious damage could have been done. She could have been shot somewhere else. She could even have been killed. I wanted to warn other pet owners in the area that someone has shot my cat in St Peter's. I want to make sure that other pet owners are aware. I have heard that other similar incidents have happened in this area. I just cannot understand why someone would do this to an animal. I do not know what goes through people's heads. Mrs Poole believes that Dolly, a tortoiseshell cat, was shot between 11am and 3pm on Monday when she arrived back home. The incident is not the first in St Peter's. A cat lost her eye after being shot 
in Dormouse Croft in February and another pet was shot and killed on the same road in October. The owner of Best Friends, vet John Slattery, who treated Dolly, said, We do not see this kind of incident a lot. It maybe happens a couple of times a year, and unfortunately there are probably a few that we don't see because they don't survive. There's not much that can be done if someone decides to use cats as target practice. Just be vigilant, and if your cat comes in with an unexplained wound, get it checked out immediately. Beggars and street drinkers have been temporarily banished from the city centre as part of a new police drive. Officers in Worcester are ordering people to leave the city centre and Douglas for 48 hours. The operation started on Thursday and is aimed at reducing harassment after a survey of 150 residents and traders in the city centre highlighted the problems caused by begging and street drinking. As of 3pm yesterday, nine people had been ordered to leave the area and one man in his 30s had been arrested for persistent begging after being asked to move on. Anyone issued with a notice was given a map of the dispersal zone and were warned that they could be arrested if they returned during that time. Inspector Tanya Beckett, Safer Neighbourhood Inspector, who was leading the operation, said, whilst antisocial behaviour in Worcester City Centre has steadily decreased over the last five years, we are as a team, acutely aware that we need to challenge the nuisance and intimidation caused to those going about their lawful business. We've listened carefully to feedback from our community and have conducted extensive public surveys during March 2017. This has shown us that nuisance, antisocial behaviour of this kind remains a key concern and is considered by many to be having a detrimental impact on the city as a whole. In December 2016, Worcester Safer Neighbourhood teams conducted a similar dispersal operation in Lowesmore, which resulted in several arrests and a marked reduction in incidents of disorder. We have now extended this across the city centre and Diglis, and a dispersal sent order is now in place until 7 a.m. on or was on in, in place until 7 a.m. on Saturday, April the 29th, with an option to extend this for several more days. This is not a one-off, and we will be ready to use this tactic repeatedly until nuisance offenders understand that antisocial behaviour will not be accepted in our city. Inspector Beckett also dismissed any notion of victimisation, adding, West Mercia Police have a strong relationship with homelessness and substance abuse charities in Worcester, and this operation is not intended to victimise any person in need of support. However, we cannot accept continuing harassment of the public by these individuals who do not live in the defined dispersal area and are only there to purchase and consume alcohol or commit Vagrancy Act offences. PC Dave Wise, working on the operation, added, The reaction so far has been mixed, but we let regular street drinkers and beggars 
know beforehand, so there was no surprise when we issued dispersal notices. We have drawn up a route so that people can access the support services they need to, so that it is not hindering people issued with dispersal notices. We're hoping to make this operation a regular part of our toolkit. People said after the Lowesmore operation that the police do this every now and again, but only when it gets really bad before people slowly start coming back. This is not what the police service does. We want to be regularly tackling this problem. PC Wise added that the areas of most concern in the survey were Lowesmore and Fourgate Street. We have found that the regular street drinkers and beggars are generally not homeless or isolated from support, but are looking to take advantage of people, he said. People are being urged to back a campaign to save a village shop near Worcester. In March, the Worcester News reported on the closing of Broadheath Stores, which is set to shut its doors for the final time on Sunday, May 28th. The current owner, Colm Barrett, is retiring and has been looking for someone to take it over, but after being on the market for seven years, sadly no one has come forward. After hearing of the imminent closure, Mark Glossop from the Save Elgar's Village Group decided to send a flyer to residents to see if there is a way of saving the convenience shop in Martley Road, Lower Broadheath. The Crown East Lane resident said, Some people may regard this sort of closure as a sign of the times, but some in the village think that the closure would be a blow to many of the residents, for whom the shop and post office are something of a lifeline and also of social importance. The closure would to some sorry, the closure would to some extent knock the heart out of the community. In the past few weeks, a small group has been trying to see if they can find a way to keep the shop open whilst we look for a longer-term solution. We need to get some idea of the level of feeling in the village and the level of support that in the effort to retain the existing premises or find somewhere else in the village for a shop might have. If enough people want to keep a shop and post office and are willing to make an effort to bring this about, then we need to find ways to make it happen. We don't have all the answers. The group was set up originally to campaign against new housing development, but campaigners are now looking to protect vital assets in the village. The flyers feature various questions on whether people are able to help run a potential shop, volunteer some time to help run it, or help raise the money to buy the premises. The flyers were delivered to homes on Friday, and residents are being asked to complete them and either hand them into the shop or email them. I have a picture of Morris dancers at Croom's Panorama Tower. Morris dancers got their knees up as they took part in a traditional event to welcome in the first day of summer. Dancers and musicians came together at the Panorama Tower at Croom near Pershaw on Sunday, May the 1st, marking the first day of summer. The tower at the National Trust site made the perfect setting with its beautiful, breathtaking views across the Vale of Evesham, and everyone danced together as the sun rose just after 5.30am. Dancers from around the country took part, clashing sticks and beating drums, wearing tatter, tatter jackets made of ribbons and strips of cloth, pheasant feathers in their hats and bells on their knees. 
May Day has traditionally been regarded in, in England as the first day of summer and is one of the key times of the year celebrated since pagan times. The Panorama Tower is open to the public during special free open days, taking place between 11am and 3pm on Sunday, May the 14th, Wednesday, May the 31st and Thursday, June the 15th. Three minutes. A top cabinet secretary's visit to Worcester has sparked hope that a £70 million bid to dual Carrington Bridge is on the government's agenda. Community Secretary Sajid Javid went to look at the congested A4440 bridge himself last week, just weeks before a crucial decision is due to be made. Worcestershire County Council has lodged the massive bid with ministers and is hoping to secure the cash from the local Majors Transport Fund. Unless the money is in place, the current £42 million dueling of the Southern Link Road will finish early in 2019 at the point where the bridge starts, keeping its single tract. Mr Javid, who is also a Tory MP in Bromsgrove, was lobbied over the bid by city leaders. Worcester's MP Robin Walker said... It was good to get Sajid Javid over and show him the bridge for himself. His department is partly responsible for the local major's transport fund, so it's important he recognises the need to get it done. Councillor Simon Geraghty, the county council's leader, said he will keep up the pressure. I was delighted Sajid took up, my, took up my invitation to see firsthand the work we're doing in the city to improve our infrastructure and tackle congestion, he said. His visit was a great opportunity to show him the progress we're making on dueling the Southern Link and our plans for upgrading the final section between the Ketch and Poic Islands to a dual carriageway. Our bid to do this work is currently being assessed by the government and so the visit was well-timed and be able to demonstrate how important this is to reducing congestion and supporting economic growth. The bridge, which dates back to 1984 at a cost of £2 million, carries over 30,000 vehicles a day and suffers torrid congestion. Its creator, former county engineer Vivian Jones, who is now 85, has called the structure overloaded and called for it to be dual-tracked. The Carrington Bridge bid has been backed by all three MPs in, the South, Worcester, in South Worcestershire, as well as business leaders, the County Local Enterprise Partnership, and its counterpart, Herefordshire LEP. Okay, we're going to have some of the readers' letters now, and the first one here is with John. Sir, unfortunately, Miranda Cole's letter in defence of the Velo Birmingham event on May the 1st contains a number of factual errors. The event has a charitable element, but is being run by a commercial company, 
CSM Active, who will be profiting from it. This profit for them will come at a high cost to many Worcestershire businesses, with some pubs expecting to lose over £2,000 trade for the day. Cyclists are free to see our beautiful countryside at any time without causing mass inconvenience. Worcestershire County Council always advertises planned road closures, usually at the back of the classified advertisement section of local papers. These closures are put in place to carry out vital maintenance and measures are taken to ensure that businesses and residents still have access to their properties. Diversions are also signposted. Velo Birmingham have said that they will not be able to allow vehicle access for the full 10 hours that the roads are closed and will forcibly remove any vehicles on the route. This will also affect any roads that the route crosses. Finally, this is not a one-off event as the organisers are already inviting people to pre-register for the 2018 event. That was from Terry Green from Droitwich. This is a piece from A.L. Eastwood, who's a cyclist and motorist of Worcester. This junction is a danger, is the heading. Sir, the new St. Peter's bypass and risks. The junction of St. Peter's Drive with Broomhall Way and Cockberry, Crookborough, that must be, Cookborough Way is now a danger for pedestrians and cyclists, more so than ever. With waiting times to cross, anything from 5 to 10 minutes, depending on traffic and the kindness of fellow motorists. The traffic is already faster and will speed up even more when the dual carriageway is fully completed. I spoke with one worker who said they'd already expressed concerns but nobody was interested. Similarly, the problems increase at the junction of the A440 and A38 at Broomhall Way, which is the catch roundabout. There will be serious accidents in either of these before too long, sadly. Glad mm. to hear from John Matthews of Worcester. Mm -hmm. Sir, I have just been reading your article about Mid Worcestershire MP Nigel Huddleston leading the charge for social media sites to ban fake news and misleading or harmful content. He is pushing for a code of conduct to be included in UK law. While I agree with what he's saying, I think we should have something similar in place for politicians who make false or fake statements and mislead the public in any way. I would also like to see a website set up which publishes how much money politicians spend on expenses and exactly what it is spent on. The next letter I have is from uh, an un unspecified person and what his name and address supplied. In praise of superb NHS. Sir, in these times when I feel people are too quick to be negative towards our NHS, I am writing to inform you of my recent positive experience. I have not long had an eye operation at Worcestershire Royal Hospital and received the most marvellous treatment and service from the ophthalmology department. I would like to thank all the staff I encountered 
especially my excellent consultant, Mrs. J.K. China, and her most attentive anaesthetist. I have nothing but the utmost praise for the whole eye department and my experience there, and very much hope that you print my letter in order to express my sincere and total gratitude. Now, this is a plea from somebody who thinks that if we had a, a drone flying over the gulls who are back in town, back from their winter sun, and many herring gulls have joined them, they will be raising new generations of young gulls high on the rooftops, out of the reach of pest control, which is costing Worcester ratepayers £5,000 yearly. It will be better invested in steam cleaning equipment as the streets and buildings are in a terrible state with pigeons and chewing gum adding to the mess. With drone technology, perhaps a large bird of prey like a golden eagle, a lifelike model, could zoom around the rooftops and send them packing. That's the idea of J.E. Whitehead of Worcester. We've got no end of um, seagulls at St Peter's now, haven't we? A letter from here from D.J. Hunt of Worcester. Sir, disgusting and revolting. There are two eating houses in the centre of Worcester, one is in Mealcheapen Street and one in Fourgate Street that have big signs outside saying, we are dog friendly. Can you believe it? Who on earth would want to eat in places where dogs are allowed? <laughs> or eat dogs. Sorry, perhaps it's the dogs going in there for a table to have their meal. <laughs> yes. Very likely. Best bibbed. Best Okay, um, on that note, we'll go back to some stories. A delighted Holly Moore's fan is celebrating after winning the chance of a lifetime to meet the pop superstar before his upcoming Worcester show. Gemma Haywood entered the Worcester News competition on a whim after buying tickets for her mum before Christmas but never in a million years did she think she would win. The 26-year-old scooped an exclusive meet and greet with the singer, along with a pair of Platinum View tickets for the open-air show at Worcestershire County Cricket Club in New Road on Sunday, June the 25th. She plans to take her mum, who is also a big Ollie Moores fan, as her guest, and will give her bought tickets away. I was coming home from holiday... And I had a missed call, said Miss Hayward from Toronto, close Lower Wick, Worcester. I was opening my post when I got home and I had one from the Worcester News. I opened it and it didn't register for a minute. I couldn't say anything. It was like being a teenage girl again. I am a big Ollie Moores fan. I don't think it has really sunk in yet, to be honest. It's an amazing feeling. Miss Hayward has been to see the stars three times before and says her favourite song is one of his well-known hits, Troublemaker. Oh, mine too. Ollie shot to fame after finishing runner-up on TV talent show The X Factor and has gone on to become a global superstar in his own right, notching up four multi-platinum albums, four number one singles and selling more than 10 million records in total. He's known for hits, including Troublemaker, 
and Heart Skips a Beat and is performing 26 outdoor dates across the UK on his summer tour and says he can't wait to come to Worcester, adding that outdoor shows are so much fun. An alcoholic who shouted abuse at a doorman has been jailed. Sean Carroll was also found with controlled substance Mamba when he was arrested on two occasions. Kerry Lovegrove prosecuting said Carroll was seen by security staff outside Hambo Restaurant in Fourgate Street, Worcester at around 9.30pm on Saturday, April the 8th. She said he attempted to shake hands with the men. They declined and asked him to keep walking. Miss Lovegrove said Carol became abusive, threatening to ruin their night and calling customers who were entering the restaurant paedophiles. He shouted racist abuse at one of the doormen, Marcin Psinski, who was Polish, and said he, would, he, he should leave Britain. When police were called, they found a small amount of the drug Mamba in his pocket, which Carol said he had bought for a tenner. Carol, aged 43, of Oak Avenue, Brickfields, Worcester, admitted a racially aggravated public order offence, that's not very good, aggravated public order offence, being in breach of a criminal behaviour order and possessing a controlled drug. Carol also admitted being in Windsor Row, which was forbidden by a criminal behaviour order on Saturday, April the 15th. He was also seen on April the 18th in Angel Street, Worcester, at around 8.50am, being abusive towards members of the public and threatening a member of security staff in the Crown Gate. Three more Mamba wraps were found in his clothes. Carol admitted all the offences. Mark Shaw, defending, said, Carol started drinking at 13 after a traumatic childhood and was an alcoholic, but was a pleasant man when he wasn't drunk. Mr Shaw said that Carol would benefit from access to a wet hostel where he could drink while fighting his addiction. However, he said budgetary cuts meant these were not available. Magistrates sentenced him to six weeks for breaching his criminal behaviour order on April the 8th and eight weeks for the racially aggravated public order offence on the same day to run concurrently. There was no separate penalty for the possession of Mamba. They also sentenced him to six weeks in prison for breaching his criminal behaviour order on April 15th and four weeks for a public order offence on the same day to run concurrently. He was sentenced to four weeks for two public order offences on April the 18th to run concurrently. There was no separate penalty for possessing the member on April the 18th. He must pay a £115 victim surcharge. Magistrates also activated a suspended sentence of 16 weeks to be served concurrently with the new sentence. He will spend a total of 20 weeks in prison. Now, this is a piece about uh, home safety. <clears throat> Families throughout Worcestershire are being encouraged to help prevent unnecessary accidents to babies, toddlers and children under five, as the Royal Society for the Prevention of Accidents... Rosper launches Family Safety Week 2017. Accidents are the biggest killer of children and young people aged up to 19 in the UK, with at least one child under the age of five killed by an accident every week. During the Family Safety Week, which runs this week until Friday, 
the charity will be highlighting the fact that these accidents don't have to happen and will provide tips, advice, support and resources to help keep under five safe at home and on the move. It's encouraging parents and carers to download free posters covering top tips for safety bedtimes, bath times, meal times, play times and travel, as well as activity sheets, including safety-themed word searches, spot the difference, colour sheets and a poster competition. Rosper will also be hosting its first Facebook Live session in conjunction with NetMums. And this will be uh, today, I suppose, from 1.30 to 2pm. Rebecca Hickman's Rosper's campaign manager, said Family Safety Week 2017 is all about bringing people together to learn lessons have fun and prevent unnecessary accidents. We want to make sure that parents have the skills and knowledge necessary to prevent the distress and heartbreak accidents to children cause. The home is the place where we expect children to be the safest, but sadly accidents involving children continue to devastate lives with those under five particularly at risk. It's a sad fact Half of the under-fives attend A&E every year following an accident that didn't have to happen, with children from disadvantaged families being most at risk. We hope that through Family Safety Week we can raise awareness of the fact that accidents are the biggest killer of children and young people, but that there are also some simple steps we can all take to prevent them. Professor Denise Kendrick, who's child injury prevention researcher from the University of Nottingham, said it's sad that in this day and age, accidents are still such an important cause of death, hospital admissions and AED attendances in young children. These accidents don't have to happen because most of them are preventable. Roster's Family Safety Week provides parent-friendly information and advice to help parents keep their children safe. Businesses are pledging their support for the annual event by running their own family safety awareness campaign to help spread the word among staff and their families. For more information about Family Safety Week, visit www.rosper.com forward stroke family safety week dot Family Safety Week was launched by Rosper in 2014 in a bid to help people protect their loved ones from accidents. West Midlands Building Company, Taylor Wimpy, has some tips for keeping children safe around the home, which include keep your floors clear from obstacles, especially the stairs, so that children don't tip over or trip over rather, rugs should be taped down to prevent them from slipping and trailing cables should be tucked away. Running in socks on a wooden floor can also lead to a nasty fall. Use door jammers to prevent doors slamming. Guard all fires. Make sure blind cords are tied up and out of reach. Look for anything that can be pulled down broken or swallowed by your child.
Some children love to climb. Make sure heavy furniture is securely anchored to the wall. It can seriously a small, clambering child if it falls on top of them. Keep babies' cots free from clutter, like soft toys and cot bumpers. Buy a new cot mattress. It should fit snugly in the cot, with no gaps. And choose a cot that makes the British Standard Safety, BSEN 716. All upstairs windows should have a lock. Or, better still, as a lock can hamper escaping from afar, a restrictor which lets windows open enough to let fresh air in but not to let the children out. Keep dangerous medicines and cleaning products high up, out of reach and ideally locked away. Keep knives out of the reach at all times. Try to keep children out of the kitchen while you're cooking as they can easily burn themselves on hot surfaces. Use back rings of cookers and turn pan handles away from the edge. And that seems to be the extent of it. <clears throat> a driver hits speeds of up to 145 miles an hour on the M5 motorway in Worcestershire after he panicked when he saw police at court heard. <clears throat> Kieran Weaver, aged 22, was on his way back from a holiday with a group of friends in Amsterdam, Worcester Crown Court was told. Paul Mitten, prosecuting, said the driver of the VW Golf he and Weaver were travelling in felt too tired to drive when they reached Strentrum Services near Worcester at about 9.20pm on August the 17th last year. So Weaver took the wheel, even though he only had a provisional license. He panicked when he saw police and drove northbound towards Worcester at speeds up to 145 miles an hour, dodging in and out of traffic. Weaver of Halstead Street in Newport was arrested after stopping. He admitted dangerous driving, driving while under the influence of cannabis, having no insurance and not having the proper license. Ian Ball, defending, said Weaver had now cut down his use of cannabis and had two self-employed jobs as a plasterer and a dog breeder. Let's hope he doesn't get those two mixed up. Judge Daniel Pierce Higgins said Weaver had driven at very high speeds and there was potential danger to other road users. He was given a suspended sentence of six months, suspended for two years and ordered to complete 200 hours of unpaid work. He was banned from driving for two years and will have to take an extended retest. He was also ordered to pay £1,500 towards costs. More are turning to Food Bank. More people have been forced to turn to Worcester Food Bank for emergency supplies, with many saying they need help because of changes to the welfare system. New figures reveal that 5,536 food parcels were provided to local people in crisis by the city's food bank during um, 2016 and 17 compared with 4,277 during the previous year. More than 1,800 of these parcels 
were needed to feed children living in food poverty. The top three reasons people were referred to the Lowe's-Moore-based charity were benefit delays and changes, 41%, low income, 32%, and debts, 7%. Worcester Food Bank says it has only been able to meet the increasing demand thanks to the generosity of local people who have donated 56 tonnes of food in the past year. But now the pressure is again starting to take its toll on the charity's dwindling stock. Graham Lucas, Lucas, Worcester Food Bank manager, said, It is deeply concerning that we're still seeing an increase in the number of referrals and there appears to be no light at the end of the tunnel. What is particularly alarming is the steady rise in people being forced to turn to us because of problems surrounding benefit payments. Emergency food is little more than a sticking plaster. We have to address the root causes of food poverty if we're serious about ending it. As well as providing emergency food to people in crisis, Worcester Food Bank offers essentials like washing powder, nappies and sanitary products to families who are struggling as well as signposting them to other services that can help in tackling debt or other problems they face. The food bank gives out emergency food parcels, which provide three days of food, made up of ten nutritionally balanced meals. However, despite generous donations of food, organisers say there are many hidden costs to running the food bank. These include renting warehouse space to sort and stock donated food and other overheads like utilities and insurances. Worcester Food Bank has appealed for more help with funding and any local businesses, organisations and individuals interested in supporting the food bank's work can find out more at worcesterfoodbank.org.uk. An ambitious mum is preparing for a 40-day challenge to raise awareness of type 1 diabetes after her daughter was diagnosed with the condition. Abigail Spicer, aged 30 and from Worcester, is set to walk 10,000 steps a day for 40 days, starting tomorrow and finishing on Sunday, June 11th. She hopes to raise money for the Juvenile Diabetes Foundation, which helps fund research to cure, treat and prevent the illness, while also managing less painful treatments for those suffering with type 1 diabetes. Miss Spicer was inspired to take on the challenge after her daughter Kaya Costello, aged 5, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in October 2016. I've seen how tough it's been for her. However, she has been so brave despite daily painful injections and blood sugar checks. She truly is an inspiration to me and I'm so proud of how well she's managing, said Miss Spicer, who lives in Wounded Villages. She'll be one of four family members taking part in the challenge. We're hoping to raise £500. That's our target as a group, she said. I would like to... I would like this to raise more awareness of type 1 diabetes and awareness of the fact that it can happen to children, said Miss Spicer. He's completely out of the blue when it happens and I'd like more parents to learn the symptoms to spot it as soon as possible. Thankfully, as my father also has type 1, I knew the symptoms and my daughter was diagnosed within the first few days of her starting. However, I wanted to raise awareness for other parents as it's happening to more and more children. To make a donation, visit the 40daystepchallenge.everydayhero.com 
forward slash UK forward slash team dash Kaya K-A-Y-A dash one two eight one five one. Now there's a picture of Jack and Ellie um, who are being fostered, I think. Worcestershire County Council Fostering Service has been working on a special project aimed at recruiting more people in the county willing to accommodate siblings. Following the success of a short film created in 2015 by Coventry City Council to raise awareness of the positive impact foster carers can make on a child's life, 13 local authorities joined forces and pooled their resources to make another film about the importance of keeping brothers and sisters in the care system together. The film, which is called Giants, is being launched today, this is yesterday, is and tells the story of Jack and Ellie, a brother and sister who want to stay together when they find themselves in foster care. The film highlights the importance of keeping siblings in care together and the need for more foster carers willing to take brothers and sisters. The film title Giants combines the, combines the idea that people who help others, e.g. foster carers, are giants in the world as our children whose siblings look up to them. The local authorities involved in making this film include Worcestershire, Coventry, Birmingham, Solihull, Telford and Rekin, Wolverhampton, Walsall, Leicester and Leicestershire, Sandwell, Stoke, Derby and Staffordshire. Working together in this initiative way, has resulted in each authority having an extremely high quality production at a low cost to each, which can be showcased and used to raise awareness for the need for more local authority foster carers across the regions. Jake Shaw, Worcestershire County Council Assistant Director of Children's Social Care Provider Services, said this is a very high-quality film and really helps to get across the urgent need we have for people to step forward who have that extra space to help brothers and sisters keep together. Producing a film to this standard is a massive undertaking, both in terms of complexity and cost. It's something no single council would have the capacity to deliver, so the fact that we have found a way to do this through collaborative working is to the credit of all the partners involved. Giants is launched today at the premiere screening at the Everyman Birmingham with invited special guests including James Foyle from the Fostering Network, Martin Reeves, who is the West Midlands Combined Authority Chief Executive, as well as the cast, crew and foster carers from each authority. A Worcestershire County Council spokesman said the film will be distributed primarily across the social media to reach a wide audience, and it is hoped that it will reach potential foster carers to help us to keep brothers and sisters together. The Coventry film in 2015 had over 100,000 views in the first week, so we're hoping for similar numbers. 
A marketing campaign to support the film will run alongside the film to help raise the profile and create awareness of the film. In addition, Worcestershire will be holding a local premiere event at its annual Fostering Congress on Tuesday, May the 16th, where all our foster carers and team members will see it. A head teacher placed on special leave earlier this year will be leaving his post at the end of the month. <clears throat> the Chase School in Morven confirmed head Richard Jacobs' departure yesterday morning. The announcement comes after Mr Jacobs was placed on special leave in February. No reason has been given by the school for the move. But Mr Jacobs was placed on leave a week after announcing at least 15 teaching jobs at the school would have to go because of falling pupil numbers. That followed two previous rounds of job losses which saw 25 teaching and support roles go. The school's deputy head teacher, Mike Fieldhouse, took over as acting head. The announcement about appointing a new head is expected within a week or so. The number of pupils joining the school has been in decline since 2010, with a further fall expected this autumn. Among the factors blamed for this decline are a falling number of young people in Malvern and the growing popularity of Dyson Perrins and Hanley Castle schools. Other reasons cited by Mr Jacobs were media coverage of an incident in the school in September 2014 when a pupil and a teacher were slightly injured in a stabbing incident and a critical Ofsted report. Last year, the school was rated as good by Ofsted. Mr Jacobs joined the school as head teacher in September 2013, having previously been vice-principal at the Earls High School in Hales-Owen. During his time at that school, it achieved an outstanding rating from Ofsted attributed to Mr Jacobs' leadership, and he was also seconded to help other schools. Writing on Facebook, Yvonne Charrett said, As the parent of two children there, one about to begin the GCSE year, I just want stability for the school. As parents, we should be concerned about the effects of massive cuts and government meddling in education generally that can give rise to situations like this. Liz Bridges posted, Re, the school not performing very well. The recent Ofsted would indicate that is not the case. But Chris Plant posted, Was never liked and the school isn't performing very well. Inevitable. A group of Worcester school children laced up their trainers and ran two kilometres to raise funds for a city charity. The 18 youngsters, most of whom are in reception at Cherry Orchard Primary School in Worcester, took part in the Bromsgrove Juniors Park Run to raise money for Onside. Onside Advo Advocacy is a Worcestershire and Herefordshire charity which supports people dis disadvantaged by disability, mental ill health, learning difficulties or age-related health issues. 
It helps more than 3,000 people each year by giving them a voice and ensuring they're listened to. Onside launched its 10,000 pounds challenge in January with a view to raising 10,000 pounds in three months by encouraging 100 volunteers to each raise 100 pounds. So far, the challenge has raised £8,000, helped by the £730 raised by the children's sponsored run. Activities held by others to raise funds have included film nights, pop-up restaurants, cycling, raffles, concerts and auctions. Deputy Chief Executive of Onside, Cathy Jackson-Reed, said, We are all absolutely amazed at how well these tiny tots have done to raise so much money. We would like to thank them all and their parents for their support. Onside hosted a small tea party at its mixed cafe in St Paul Street to thank the children. Onside has extended its £10,000 deadline until August 1st, 2017 to help contact Lisa Young on 01905 27525 or email Lisa Young at Onside of advocacy.org.uk Members of a theatre group have raised thousands of pounds for a hospice in memory of their friend. Kay's Theatre Group, based in Worcester, raised £3,500 for St Richard's Hospice, which cared for former member Jenny Hall Dixon, who suffered with cancer. The group raised the money through performances of its pantomime Mother Goose earlier this year and by bagpacking at Tesco's in St Peter's, Worcester. Kath Skirm, Vice-Chairman of Kay's Theatre Group, said, St Richard's Hospice is a charity which is very close to our hearts. The recent tour we had has only confirmed to us that the staff, both paid and voluntary, go above and beyond to help those going through the most testing and difficult time of their lives. The group also supported Ms Hull's Dixon's sister-in-law, Becky Fawkes, who was raising money for the hospice by running the London Marathon and the committee also donated £140. Rhea Simons, community fundraiser at St Richard's, said, We are extremely grateful for the Kays group donation towards the cost of our care. Such kindness is heartwarming and always appreciated. Thank you to all who gave so generously. Now, it is a campaign to stop loan shark misery. <clears throat> Unscrupulous loan sharks could be damaging the health of people living in a deprived area of Worcestershire. Loan sharks are targeting vulnerable vulnerable members of the community in Westlands, Droitwich, and offering illegal loans which may see them pay back much more than they originally borrowed. To combat the problem, the England Illegal Money Lending Team, ILMT, Worcestershire County Council, Fortis Living and Witch Avon District Council have teamed up for a week-long campaign from Monday, May the 8th to Friday, May the 12th. The partners want to raise awareness of the dangers of borrowing from illegal money lenders and will signpost victims to the help and support available through IMLT. Activities include a pop-up shop at Westlands Community Hall from 10am to 1pm on Tuesday, including a free cafe and soft play area for children. 
The first 50 people to join Six Towns Credit Union and save £5 per week for three months between April and July will be awarded with a £25 savings boost straight into their credit union account. Francis Howey, Director of Public Health, said this programme of activity is to help people bite back against illegal lenders by reporting loan sharks on 0300 accessing support around managing money and saving through the credit union. There are loads of things going on that everyone can get involved in. Financial challenges can have a serious impact on the health of residents, and we want to tackle this. Tony Quigley, who's head of service for IALMT, said loan sharks have been known to resort to bullying tactics, such as threats, intimidation and even violence to enforce repayment from borrowers. There will also be a poster competition for children at Westland's first school with prizes for winning posters. Winners will be announced by Sid the Shark on Thursday, May the 11th. Anyone spotting Sid can post a selfie, post a selfie to social media using the hashtag StopLoanSharks. The new incentive is being funded by IMLT using cash, which has been confiscated from the loan sharks. This is an event that I believe took place last Saturday, but is very noteworthy. A bell-ringing schoolboy is preparing to cycle 50 miles, stopping to ring bells at 11 Worcestershire churches along the way. Jacob Edwards from Shrawley devised the sponsored cycling challenge as a way to raise money for a trip he intends to make to India this summer. The 15-year-old needs to raise around £2,710 for the trip, which he is taking along with 14 others from Chantry High School in Martley with the organisation World Challenge. The group will visit Uttara Khan, where they will help carry out charity work as well as making a three-day trek to the foothills of the Himalayas in July. Jacob said, I feel that to go to somewhere like India would be an incredible experience as well as the ability to help people while I'm over there. We leave on July the 19th and come back two weeks later. Atura Khan is in the north, northern, north in the foothills of the Himalayas and we will also do a three-day trek. I need to raise £2,710 and I've done a bit of gardening, helping out with mowing lawns and strimming and so far I've raised about £1,100. The cycle ride tomorrow is the latest, latest fundraising idea for Jacob who is a keen volunteer church bell ringer and Cub Scout young leader for Abberley and Whitley. Jacob will start from Astley Church and stop to ring bells at 10 more churches in the Martley Guild District, finishing at Shrawley Church where he is a regular bell ringer. He said, it's about 46 to 50 miles and will probably take me about six or seven hours. We've set times for me to reach the churches and so far I've been matching them. 
I'm hoping for a bit of sponsorship. I think I've made about £150. I've been cycling most weekends for a while and I'm stepping up my training now. Anyone wishing to sponsor Jacob can do so at generosity.com slash community fundraising slash Jacob India 50 mile and 11 churches cycle. A motorcycle enthusiast who has travelled across the world on his beloved bike is now planning on taking a tour of his own country. Nathan Millwood, aged 37, from Worcester, will travel the length of Britain on his ride from Land's End to John O'Groats. He will make the trip on the same Honda CT110 motorbike that he used to travel from Sydney to London and from New York to Alaska. Mr Millward has recruited 25 other bikers to join him on the 1,400-mile journey, which starts on Sunday, May the 13th. I'm married now and looking to buy a house, but I still want a taste of that freedom, he said. A couple from New Zealand who I met in the Himalayas are coming, and people have also seen about the trip on Facebook. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, the, all the, these guys are strangers. It will be a social experiment. One woman who is having chemotherapy got in touch and said she wanted to come just to live her life. Another is coming from Australia and buying a bike just for it. We have re retirees and students taking part, a mix of all ages. We'll meet up, meet up each night at the campsite. Mr Millward said they will start the trip at Land's End Visitor Centre at 9am and ride 200 miles every day for eight days. He said the convoy will use as many coastal roads as possible during the ride from the bottom of England to the top of Sk the tip of Scotland. Mr Millward thinks each person will spend around £200 on food, fuel and camping costs. The Biber wrote a book about his Sydney to London trip in 2009 called The Long Ride Home and another covered his American bike ride in 2013 titled Running Towards the Light. For more information on the upcoming motorcycle ride visit facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 4802. A former Worcester man known as Mr Gorilla says he couldn't believe the global interest his six-day bid to crawl the London Marathon received. Former RGS pupil Tom Harrison, who goes by the name Mr Gorilla, started at 10.34am on the day of the main race and six days later on Saturday he crossed the finish line to cheers of delight from the large crowd assembled. The 41-year-old Metropolitan Police officer, who still has family living in Malvern, took on the unusual marathon to raise money for the guerrilla organisation. He slept at friends' houses in the evenings after completing around 10 to 12 hours and 4.5 miles a day, swapping between crawling on hands and knees and up on hands and feet. Mr Harrison crossed the finish line on the Mall at 11.45am, flanked by his two sons, Alex and Nicholas, and beating his chest for the onlooking crowds. Speaking to the Worcester News, Mr Harrison said, I have always had an interest in the decline of wildlife and gorillas, so I wanted to support this charity. Last November, I went out with them to see their work in Uganda, and that inspired me to fundraise again for them. 
Last year I did the marathon and this year I thought it would be nice to do something different, which is where the gorilla style came from. I couldn't believe it went global. I had camera crews from Germany and Russia following me. My friend in Cambodia said even people there had heard of Mr. Gorilla. He has already smashed his original £1,750 target, raising more than £40,000 for the charity. Okay, that's the end of our reading of the Worcester News. I just want to let everybody know that the Worcester Talking Newspaper annual general meeting is going to be on Wednesday the 7th of June at Colin Chance House. So everybody's invited and it's going to start at 6.30. Okay, so it's goodbye from all of us here. So goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.